Player two, you're awake. It's me, Kitty M, the all geek from the land of Pod. Really geeky place. You come here every now and then. I don't know why I have to explain this to you every time. Got something special for you. Two guys who are dressed sort of in red, but they've got nothing to do with Santa Claus, and then just me talking about Hogswatch and horror movies. You should definitely let children watch this Christmas, especially if you don't like those children and want them to be afraid of things for a really long time. Come on, player two. Let's roll. Player two, come in, sit down. I honestly don't have that much news for you because this is going to be a special travel to the land of Pod. But I will say that the new Young Justice promo is out and I may just come back next year just to talk about that. And I know outside it may be blazing hot and everyone's choking on tinsel, but not here, player two. In the land of Pod, we do things a little differently. We celebrate Hogswatch here. We also say season's greetings because it annoys all the right people. What's that? I blatantly stole a celebration from another constructed world, more specifically one created by veritable genius and all-round gift to literature, Terry Pratchett, who created Discworld and is a part of that Hogswatch. Yes. Yes, I agree. There are reasons we celebrate Hogswatch here, player two. Actually, quite a few, and I'll get to them shortly. But... Basically, this is so that everyone feels included, and this is the best way to do it. Also, this is my land of pod. I'm allowed to do whatever I want in it. So let's go. Gonna go see a big dude in red. He's not really in red. He is m- more just red as a, as a general colour. You'll see. Player two, we are off to see the man who's red. No, not the man in red. This, You know, not everything in this has to be about Christmas or Hogswatch or any of those season's greetings things. Some of it can just be about the trailer for the new Hellboy movie, okay? Before I start, let's get something straight. Del Toro is the man. He is a gift to our eyes and anything he makes is a delight that we should all lose ourselves in. Del Toro is unsurpassed. You cannot surpass him. So of course the Hellboy that he created will always be a work of art and perfection in its own right. The problem people seem to have is that they think perfection means there's only one form of it. If Del Toro created the perfect Hellboy, there's this school of thought that dictates his must be the only perfect Hellboy and that's not how that works. Also, Perlman was a great Hellboy. He was big, his tone was dry, dude was intimidating, but it has good comedic timing. So with all of that out of the way, the new Hellboy trailer is actually pretty decent. Let's go through it. The comedy's a bit limp. There is something out about the timing, or maybe it's just the sound mixing that doesn't hit with the trailer, and I'm not going to deny that for a second. This doesn't fill me with the hype of the Aquaman trailer, doesn't make me fizzy like the Justice League trailer, doesn't even make me wide-eyed and ready to learn more like the Black Panther trailer. It's missing something, and to pretend it's not is just plain stupid. But this trailer does have some good points that we need to acknowledge, because I like these trips to the Land of Pod to be at least 20 minutes long. Also, people on the internet are wrong, and First off, stop comparing this to the existing Hellboy movies. This is a different thing. As previously stated, GDT is a god. Perlman is a great Hellboy. But that's not this. GDT has a certain palette that he uses in movies. I personally love it. It's this mix of golds and reds and this vibrancy of darkness. 
It's why his scenes when he shoots them in the day look so faded, because compared to the way he shows shadows, the day is less. The signature palette of GDT isn't dissimilar to Manola's, so Del Toro was always going to work as a creative force putting these stories onto a screen. But there's something that Neil Marshall is doing, that this trailer is showing at least, that feels a little bit more authentic to the Manola art. If Del Toro showed the skin, Neil Marshall is cutting to the bone. The trailer shows the colours picked out from the subdued palette. Harbour as Hellboy works on a character design level. You look at Manola's work and Hellboy is big but there's a wasting to him. A thinness along with the muscles. His sharp lines and, and pointed edges. That makes sense for Hellboy. He's never really meant to be fully formed. It's like he's always meant to be hungry. That's how I've always seen him whenever I've seen a Hellboy picture. But Perlman was always thick lines. He's heavy, which is intimidating. And again, don't get me wrong, the characterization of Manola's Hellboy is difficult to put into a real world. I mean, the way Manola draws is an exaggeration of form. But I think in this trailer, that's what we're actually seeing. We're seeing the closest we'll ever come to a representation of Manola's Hellboy, visually at least, on a big screen. And that's not a slight against Del Toro or Perlman. That Hellboy was wonderful to watch, but it's a reminder that even perfection doesn't hit all the marks. And yes, we are going to see similarities between the movies. That's because it's the world of Hellboy. It's sort of the way that goes when you're working in an existing universe. There will be crossover images. There will be familiar things because we've already encountered Hellboy. If you've seen it before, then see it again, it'll be familiar. That's how memory works. Well, not really because memory is weird. But anyway, it's not a strong trailer but I think it has sparks of hope in it it's not going to be the worst movie because well let's face it we've already had Suicide Squad but I do like this trailer and I like these visuals and I'm excited for the Hellboy fans in my life I think they're gonna get something nice and they deserve that I mean some of them some of them don't at all they're probably only good traders that they like Hellboy come on player two we're not ready for Hogswatch yet. Tell me, are you, you're not arachnophobic, are you? Because you're not, if you are, you're not going to enjoy what happens next. Okay, play two, just be careful. There's a lot of spider webs around. Well, I, I hope these are spider webs. They're sticky, so. No, we haven't ended up in the land of Halloween with Jack Skellington. This part of our adventure through the land of Pod really has not much to do with Hogswatch at all. I just really wanted to talk about the Spider-Verse movie. And I know I'm a DC fan, so you think that I'm going to hate on the Spider-Verse movie just because it's about stupid Spider-Man. And I was very ready to do that, but uh, I was pleasantly surprised. See, the Spider-Verse movie is definitely the best Marvel animation out there, and quite possibly the best Marvel film. I know, you love Marvel films, of course you do. If you love one Marvel film, there's a very good bet that you're going to like all of the other Marvel films because they are, at their core, pretty much the same thing. It's like liking Skittles. You like all of the Skittles. Maybe there's a few that aren't your favourite flavour, but you like them all because they're all pretty much sugar. That's what Marvel is. And that's fine because a franchise works to a formula. Doesn't make that inherently bad or low quality, it just means there's a formula. 
and in Marvel's case, a very successful formula for making money. Because the point of films, in their broader sense, is to entertain, and Marvel entertains. But in watching Spider-Verse, it occurs to me that the cinematic Spider-Man until now is the prime example, for me, of everything that's never hit for a Marvel movie. I'm gonna only address cinematic Spidey because I don't think I've ever read a Spidey comic. Before you come at me, my reasoning for not doing that is very simple. I'm a fake geek girl. Also, I have finite hours in the day. Most of them are spent working and I'm not gonna spend the few hours I have that are just mine and mine alone pouring them into comics about a character I feel very little for. If you want me to be able to do that, then topple capitalism, I guess. Until then, I'm gonna be spending what time I do have for me watching anime and playing video games. And drunk tweeting. Cinematic Universe Spider-Man is unengaging, though. Past when the credits roll, who cares? He's entertaining, he's lovable, but once the movie's over, he's effectively disposable for a character to think deeply about because his character never thinks deeply about anything. As a superhero, his main strength does come from his ability to react quickly to situations. Whenever he stops to think or plan, things do tend to go a bit wrong, but when he jumps into the situation without any really deep thought, it generally works out. His instincts are a huge influencer on his ability to affect change, and that's pretty cool, and that probably says a lot about his character. However, by only showing him to be a reactive character, it continues to make him a two-dimensional, poorly constructed being. It's not to say he doesn't display good values or a side of the human condition, but he's not fully formed in the cinematic universe. He's a caricature of a teenager. And this is where Spider-Man has just never hit for me. Peter Parker is from a low socioeconomic background and is highly intelligent. When he's bitten by that spider, his body changes. His mind changes. The way he interacts with the world suddenly expands through the senses that no one else can comprehend. Now, whether that spider bite is fortune or foreplanned, that's a whole other mess. But the fact remains that within the movies, there is no meaningful discussion or searching by Peter Parker as to who he is as Spider-Man. Remember, he's already a teenager who doesn't fit in. Now suddenly he's a freak of nature, quite literally, who is no longer just grappling with the realities of social exclusion, but grappling with spider webs coming out of his body. He's already on a roller coaster ride of puberty, and now nature is putting extra twists and turns in that no one else can relate to. Yet we never see him feel excluded because of it. It's almost a constant ride of celebration at his newfound powers that he kind of seems to just deserve, I guess? I, I get that. But what I do feel is unrealistic in an entire story about a radioactive spider biting someone and not flat out killing them is the lack of questioning and angst by that character as to where they fit in. Peter never exhibits any imposter syndrome. He never questions what he's become. There's no deep thought on whether he still constitutes being a human or whether he's something more. There isn't even a real affinity for insects and bugs around him in a deep way. You would think some of that would happen, but instead he just loves being super powerful and goes about his business. Which is cool, but it makes for a pretty trashable story once it's all told. Because who thinks like that? Actually, there are some people who think they should just be given things and not question it at all, but that's another story. Spider-Verse reverses the problem. Miles Morales in Spider-Verse is not dissimilar to Peter Parker. He's super intelligent, lives in a low socioeconomic area, his uncle is a heavy influence on him, and both are brought up with good values, surrounded by people who love them. The difference that Spider-Verse shows is that Miles Morales doesn't know where he fits, even before he's bitten by a spider. 
and he's aware that he doesn't fit. He's a kid with a foot in two different worlds. His parents want him to do better and they see his potential. So they're getting him to go effectively to boarding school for gifted and talented kids. But he loves where he comes from and he doesn't want to discard those roots because that's what makes him him. He's obviously talented when it comes to science, but he feels at home with creative pursuits. He's analytical, but he's got this core of him that requires a lot more affection and grounding in something true to who he is and the culture and society he's grown up in. In the story of Spider-Verse, we see the gravity of Miles' existence in the greater world. Who he is, where he comes from, how he looks, the way he inhabits the world, all play into the gravity of things that happen to him. None of it is, I think, overly explicit, but there's definitely messages in the Spider-Verse movie that relate to issues we see playing out right now. So there's a scene that I think even a few years ago wouldn't have nearly been as scary for me as it was when I was watching it in the cinema about a week ago. Now, because I know what the world is like for people who aren't me, after being made aware, there's maybe 20 seconds that are heart-stopping. Not because I just feared for the character, but because I knew this particular thing happening to them was tapping into a greater knowing, a greater fear, a greater story that isn't one that I ever have to live through. And that's kind of reminiscent of a cool thing that Spider-Verse does in general. It shows a type of class conflict that generally isn't shown, and more's the pity, in most Spider-Man movies. And look at Peter Parker. Why is he so cool with his super rich friend? And how is he more focused on being stressed about bills than he is at the gross inequality in the distribution of wealth in his city? Batman is a rich dude who actually tries to do something to help the people of Gotham. Spider-Man just doesn't see them. And that feels unrealistic to me, that Spider-Man, having grown up, where people just don't have a lot, I expect him to do more, you know? Because he's actually aware, and he doesn't. Now, Miles doesn't directly reference this stuff, because, I mean, they're teenagers, and maybe that's the point. But he actually displays a general understanding of the fact that his place in society is different from those around him. He understands that the rich elite kids aren't the same as him. And it makes you think that in a few years, Miles will have these discussions. He'll have this character growth because he's got an actual basis for understanding the world and how it needs to change and how he can change it. And I wish I'd seen more of that with Peter Parker. That would make an interesting Spider-Man. And I think this is why I like Miles, because the kid is not just book smart, he's actually practically smart. He is engaged with the world, and so therefore, I can engage with him. He also has imposter syndrome, which is not surprising given how many other Spider-Men there are. It's also a funny movie, and a clever movie, and the soundtrack is good, and the interactions are memorable, and the fight scenes don't go for too long, and the visuals are some of the best you'll see in animation about a Marvel character. So go along, and don't worry too much about the messages. If you don't want to, they will seep into your brain, though. That's how media works. But I always find it fun to dig deeper. After I've enjoyed a movie, to really think about it, and this is the first Spider-Man movie where I've been able to do that. And it's really exciting. Plus, the action figures are really kind of cool. Come on, player two. I've got a list. And I'm going to check it twice. I'm lying. I'm, I'm very lazy. I'm going to check it, like, once and then not look at it ever again. Let's go. 
that's a, that's a giant spider. We did we actually end up are we near mortal? Might have nothing to do with Spider-Man. Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house, everyone's like, come on, there's gotta be something better on than the Christmas Prince movie. That this is this is naff. And there is something better to watch, player two. But first, in this forest clearing that we find ourselves in, I want you to take note of the decorations. Yes, those are just fairies that are glowing angrily inside mason jars. You try and come up with some kind of decoration on short notice. I like to think it's kind of got a hipster edge, but also shows off my whimsical side. We should get this list started soon. Those fairies are not happy. You may not be the sort to celebrate Christmas player too, and that's totally cool. I don't really celebrate it either. I don't come from an overly religious family, and honestly, you could call Christmas Duddle Fudge, and it would change exactly zero of the things my family would do at this time of year. What I do is call Christmas Hogswatch. My family just pretends I'm saying the word Christmas. Then we all just give each other presents and eat too much food. So, if you don't celebrate Christmas, I want you to know that this list is also for you. Created by someone who doesn't really celebrate Christmas as well. And if you do celebrate Christmas, this list is for you also. Think of it like the list equivalent of season's greetings. It's for everyone and isn't meant to exclude anyone and will probably make someone very angry. Though in this instance it does focus more heavily on Christmas. But not the Christian one, because you'll see. Okay, the first thing on your Christmas watch list should be Happy on Netflix. It's not the most sensitive of series out there. There's some questionable parts to the whole thing, but you know how I love me a problematic fave and Happy is one of those. It's violent, obscene, a mess of disregard for anyone's feelings that the Deadpool movies were meant to be. It's about a disgraced, drug-addicted ex-cop who teams up with an imaginary friend to save a bunch of kids at Christmas. And that's about all the plot I'm going to give you. But there's sex, extreme violence, quite a bit of drug use. Think of it like if Die Hard swapped out John McClane with Deadpool. There you go. That's happy. Number two on the list is Rare Exports A Christmas Tale. This one has subtitles, and that's not a mark against it. Subs over dubs the whole way. Rare Exports is about a small village in Finland where a mining operation uncovers something that was meant to remain buried. We've all heard of Krampus. Well, those stories have to come from somewhere. And in Rare Exports, they explain where. It's terrifying and should definitely be watched with children. Unless you like the children and don't want to scare them, in which case do not show them this. Unless they like horror, in which case definitely show them this. You know what? Don't worry about kids at all. Just get yourself some cats and you don't even need a life partner then. You just have cats and dogs and maybe a rescue pig. Speaking of, next on the list is Hogfather. This is a Discworld television movie that is worth watching every year because it's delightful. The plot is that the Hogfather, Discworld's version of Santa, has gone missing, so... Death, yes, actually Death, steps up to the plate. Death is my favourite Discworld character, not just because he likes cats, but a lot of it has to do with that. It's a darkly funny television movie with clever dialogue, a deeper meaning about belief and its importance to the human condition, and there's also a very funny line about education and swords, and some jokes about computers. You know what, we're going to be talking about Hogfather more, just, just put it on the list, start watching, just have this on in the background. I don't care if you actually listen or not. It's the plays and downloads that really give me a thrill. Next on the list is Batman Returns, because it's it's Batman, and it's set at Christmas, kind of. It's basically like if the Grinch was a penguin, 
And so in a way, it's the original Grinch movie. And I don't have to give you more reasons than that to watch. Just watch it and rejoice in the fact I was kind enough to recommend such a thing. Also, we've been singing about how Batman smells every Christmas year. I think we need to give him this win. Speaking of songs, if you like a little bit of musical stuff at this time of the year, and who doesn't love Guy's Night's Die Hard song? The only Christmas carol you really need to be singing. But if you want to keep going with being merry, Nightmare Before Christmas. The movie we all mistakenly watch at Halloween and halfway through realise it's all about Christmas, actually. This is like Hogfather in that the spectre of death and the other world is trying to take on the guise of a jolly elf. Christmas should have more shadows in it, and this is a delightful romp, if not a little terrifying in parts. And finally, Die Hard. I know, Bruce Willis says Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie, but Bruce Willis is wrong and he can offer to fight me physically about it, and I will take him up on that, because I'm pretty sure if it came down to it, one, he'd say no, and two, I can outrun Bruce Willis. I am 50 to 60% sure that I could do that. And it's, it's a Christmas movie. I know the others weren't, but they're gifts all year round, like Christmas. Now, however you choose to celebrate this holiday season, player two, I hope you have a good time. And remember to be nice to people, even if you don't want to, because we're all in this together. And by all in this together, I mean we're all sitting down, watching Die Hard, trying to explain to at least one other person in the room why Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Let's go talk about Hogfather, though. I think you need to know more about it. Player two, you might be wondering why we're standing here in this empty field. I mean, empty, save for the, the snow on the ground and that ancient bloodied altar over there. I'm going to start out by assuring you we are not here so that I can sacrifice you to some pagan gods so we can get a better crop next year. Sacrificing you is not going to reverse global warming at all. I mean, we haven't tried it, but let's try renewable energies first. And then maybe human sacrifice. But that's, just, that's down the list of things that we'll try. It's like at least number 20 on the list. There's 19 other really good suggestions before we get to that one. So don't, don't worry. No, player two, we're here because I want to talk about why Hogswatch is better than Christmas. This is not a war on Christmas. Let me just say, if you want to celebrate Christmas, you go for it. This is just me finding an excuse to talk about Hogswatch. Hogswatch is the Discworld equivalent of Christmas. You would have learnt about it in the movie Hogfather. Hogswatch is the Discworld equivalent of Christmas. Discworld is the universe created by one of the greatest literary minds of our time, if not in history. I do not overstate this because, quite frankly, Terry Pratchett has brought more untold and immeasurable amounts of joy to so many people through his skill with words that to call him anything short of that is to undersell him. He is, you'll be unsurprised to hear, one of my absolute favourite authors of all time. So much so that I don't read his books. You see, Terry Pratchett passed away a few years ago, and I can't bear the idea of being in a world where I don't have a new Discworld novel to read, so I ration them. Discworld is a very safe place for me, and has been any time I'm in a dark place. When I felt really alone this one time, okay, there's been many, but this one time I had Discworld to go to. I bought a map of Death's Domain from Discworld and would just stare at it. And for some reason, it would give me a very real feeling of belonging. And I once even got to meet Terry Pratchett, and he was the most magical person I have ever met 
by one other. And I know, I've heard he wasn't the most perfect person in the world, but his kindness, when I saw him interacting with people who were overcome by his presence, was really heartening. So there's something I tried to do when I was younger, which for some reason I seem to have more time and more energy. I'd try and read Hogfather every Christmas. It's also a television movie, so if you're not a reading-type Pokemon, I'd recommend it. Its basic premise is this. The Hogfather has gone missing. Death has taken over from the Hogfather to do, you know, the Hogfather's work because Hogswatch must go on. So what is Hogswatch? It works like this. You know Christmas? Yeah, that. But less dressed up to hide the pagan origins. The Hogfather is a tusked and, unsurprisingly, given the name, hog-faced man or beast who goes about on a sleigh giving children presents. Good children get bacon and black pudding and other gross meat stuff. Bad children get a bag of bloodied bones. Or at least, that's the threat. He dresses in red and white to symbolise the colour of blood on snow. Because, you see, Hogswatch is linked to a winter solstice ritual and pig killing. There's also links to a time of being when a new king would be chosen if the old king wasn't really pulling his weight. So why is Hogswatch better than Christmas? I'm not saying it is, but I'm just saying that the Hogfather is a very real embodiment of belief and changing belief. The way one ritual gives way to another and how our gods change to fit in with our shifting views. Sort of more honest. In the Hogfather book, it brings up all these new ways to see our traditions and rituals, especially if you've never thought about it before. The reasoning behind huddling together and giving thanks in the coldest months, when we would have been scared and hungry, when the days of snow and freezing seem to never end. Hogswatch is a way to cope, a way to reaffirm belief, a way to hope in the darkest days. And that still plays into... Now, I mean, I live in meat space in Australia, and summer can be really, really hard because you see things dying and it's hard to work out or hard to believe that it could ever end. Droughts go on forever here, it feels like. So I think that kind of ties into it too. Like you can tap into those feelings. But in the book and television movie, Hogswatch has gone beyond that belief and and that need of communal hope to merely being a consumeristic endeavour that is generally used by children, the weakest and those without any rights within society, to obtain more objects of worth when they would generally not be able to procure such items. There is no longer the need for sacrifice because people are comfortable and they don't have to give thanks because thanks is unneeded. At least some people are comfortable. Hogswatch is a time of pointing out the radical inequality that exists in the Discworld society and, yeah, maybe our own, perhaps, I guess. After all, the Hogfather doesn't bring the same presents to rich children as he does to poor ones. And this is a point that confuses Death, who, as you can remember, is playing the part of Hogfather for the year after the original Hogfather goes missing, and that's a whole other story. Death in Discworld is my favourite character. Because he enjoys humans, but he doesn't much care for them. As a group, humanity is a source of information and entertainment, but he spends little time really concerned for their well-being as a whole. There are individuals who are exceptions to the rule, but really he's so removed from humanity and due to his role in the universe, he's unable to get close enough to really emotionally invest in them all. So imagine this being of utter impartiality. Not fairness, because death isn't fair, but impartial. Straight down the line. 
imagine that being suddenly being handed the task of handing out presents to all the good little boys and girls. Then being told, you can't give the poor kids rich kid toys. It's brilliant. And I'm sure one day I'm going to be able to make this whole story out to be a socialist manifesto hiding under the sheets of a bedtime story. And perhaps one day I'll tell you about why it's also about sentience and things wanting to live and exist and the importance of belief. Because that's all in the story as well. But it's almost Hogswatch. So let's keep this light. I hope that all of this convinces you to read or watch The Hogfather this year, Player Two. It's truly one of my favourite stories of all time, and not because it's particularly deep or informative, it is, but because it's fun. And because I think this time of year is meant to be a little bit about magic and the unknown and things that are scary being turned into something wondrous and still a little scary. And Terry Pratchett always knew how to do that. So this is a good time to discover him, or remember him, and I hope you'll get some joy out of it, player two. Come on, let's head home. We're back at the tavern. And that is Land of Pod for another year. If you want to hear some rants, head over to at ChaosKittyM on Twitter. Or if you like following accounts that don't tweet much, Land of Pod also has a Twitter. You can also like both of those on Facebook. There won't be a New Year's Eve episode, so I'll just say now that in the new year, I hope I'm back. The new Young Justice is on its way and there's new promo stuff, so I'll probably come back at least to talk about that. But it should be no surprise, this hasn't been the easiest year to get to the land of Pod, but it's been fun when I've been here, so I hope I see you again, and soon. To every player too who's come along on the ride, thank you. I'd come to the land of Pod without you, but I might still kind of be sort of okay that you also enjoy being here too. Your support has meant a lot. Until next time, if there is a next time, player two.